0: Hello and welcome to our podcast, Shut the Fuck Up, We Are Not Done Talking Yet, with Sharla Gabert and Danielle Warraman. I'm Sharla. And I'm Danielle. In our podcast,
1: we discuss current events, popular culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. We are smart, funny, and occasionally profane.
0: We hope you enjoy our podcast and thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to our podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. Today, we're going to talk about a topic of interest to Sharla (laughs) and hopefully to everybody else. It turns out May is Bladder Cancer Awareness Month. So today we're going to talk about bladder cancer and hope that this information will be useful to somebody or other at some point. Um, I'm going to start by just sharing some statistics and information about bladder cancer. And then we're going to go into a little bit of the symptoms that you might want to be aware of. And then we'll end up where I will share my experience with non-invasive bladder cancer. So to start with, bladder cancer is one of those things that it's really common, but people don't usually talk about it. It turns out it is the, it's either the fifth or sixth most common cancer in the United States. Kind of depends on which year you look at. And most of the time when people are diagnosed, they're usually over the age of 55, like 90% of people diagnosed with bladder cancer are 55 and older. And the average age at the time of diagnosis is 73. Now, one thing I found interesting is that bladder cancer is actually more common in men than women. Like four times as common.
1: Wow, that's a really big discrepancy.
0: Yes, it really is. And I mean, like, I think mainly I would say I'm not exactly a classic person to get bladder cancer, um, cause I didn't really have any of the risk factors that we'll talk about in a minute, but yeah, it's definitely more common with men. And in fact, among men, bladder cancer is the fourth most common cancer. So it's like, I feel like, you know, bladder cancer doesn't get very much publicity compared to breast cancer or even colon cancer or prostate cancer because there just isn't quite the same amount of awareness. But it's pretty common. And among men, it's the ninth most common cause of cancer, death. So the American Cancer Society says that there's gonna be like approximately 79,000 new cases of bladder cancer every year. And that is actually a pretty big number. They've also done some interesting studies and found that it's more common in northern states and northeastern and New England states. They're not really sure exactly why. Um, one theory that's relevant to me is that older cities and towns in New England and, and New England and Northeast, they have really old water systems that tend to break and so they dump a lot of chlorine into the water to make it clean to drink unfortunately when chlorine acts on stuff in water it produces byproducts and those byproducts are themselves carcinogenic and can contribute to bladder cancer so um, That's sort of my theory about my exposure because I lived in Boston area for 20 plus years, 25 years. And I lived in an old town in Wakefield, Massachusetts that was constantly having breaks in the water pipes and then they were constantly dumping chlorine in. And, you know, our showers smelled like chlorine. Anyway, so that's my own personal theory. Another thing they found out in studying the incidence of bladder cancer it's much higher in among white caucasian people than it is among blacks or hispanics
1: oh i find that a really an interesting statistic too
0: i know it's like there there's a lot of data but a lot of times they don't really know what these different things mean they definitely have not figured out why people in northern states have more than people in southern states i was on a webinar recently where they showed a map of the U S and it was really, really profoundly different that like all the States across the South had a much lower incidence and all the States across the Northern part of the country had a lot more. And I mean, so that included everything from like Wyoming to Oregon to new England. You know, it's like, it was really hard to figure out. And they don't really know what that common denominator is. So it's unknown, but they have, they do have that data. Then they have lots of data about risk factors. And one thing that surprised me is like the number one risk factor is smoking. And, you know, as if smoking isn't bad enough for like lung cancer or pancreatic cancer, they estimate maybe a half of bladder cancer deaths are actually due to tobacco use.
1: That is insane. Well, I just chalk it up to how bad smoking is. We all Yeah, know that.
0: just yet another reason not to smoke. You know, it's like there's so many bad things about smoking, but who knew that that was one of them? Um, in fact, they think that there's a 200 to 400% increased risk for smokers. So if you smoke, please stop. Um, the other thing about smoking is that even secondhand smoking – can contribute to bladder cancer. And unlike with lung cancer, if you quit smoking and then, you know, within a year or so, you're probably, your risk has dropped down to that of a non-smoker. Unfortunately, that isn't really true with bladder cancer. Bladder cancer, uh, the risk from smoking persists for decades. And in fact, they kind of think that most bladder cancer is the result of exposures that were decades ago. Like the number, like the, maybe the number two source of bladder cancer um, causes is occupational exposures. So there's like a whole list of um, things. If you work in chemicals, paint, rubber, leather, textiles, miners get it. If you're around diesel exhaust, um, there's a bunch of industries where there's an occupational risk, and maybe 20% of bladder cancers caused by occupational exposures. Now, one that I thought was really scary is that hairdressers have a higher risk of bladder cancer, and they think it's from their exposure to the dyes that are used in hair. Oh,
1: for goodness sakes.
0: Yeah. um, I know when I got my diagnosis, I immediately decided to stop getting my hair colored and then I have researched further. And it's probably not a big deal if you're just the client getting your hair done every six weeks or something. But definitely bladder cancer is higher among people who are hairdressers. Yeah. Yes. So they should take precautions. Um, Another weird source of a risk is arsenic in water supplies. And you're most likely to find arsenic not in a public water supply, but in a private domestic well. Then there are other people who like, if you have a lot of UTIs, um, urinary tract infections, if you've had any kind of radiation to your pelvis for other things like prostate cancer or cervical cancer, your risk is higher they don't really think that it runs in families. Um, There are some genes that they've found now that are connected to bladder cancer, but it's not like there's such a strong connection the way there is like with um, breast cancer and what are they, BRC1 or BRC2, there are those genes that if you have them, you know, like people go ahead and get mastectomies to prevent. So it isn't like that. It's not that strong of um, a correlation. But they're doing. They're learning a lot more about sort of if there are any genetic components. So those are some of the things I have learned about bladder cancer that I was I wanted to share with you guys just to have an awareness of what the risks are. And keep those in mind if you're in any industry. And if you're smoking, stop. (laughs) Right.
1: Um, Let me ask you this question. What were Mm -hmm. your symptoms and what caused you to seek
0: treatment? My symptoms were really typical, I think. I had one day I just noticed a drop of blood in the toilet after I peed and I Thought well, that's weird, right? And if you're a woman, sometimes you don't really know, like, oh, this is weird. I am what am you know? Am I having a weird period? Blah blah. But I finally figured out that it was coming. It was related to my urine, and um, it was sufficiently strange that I took a picture of this one drop of blood, and then that was it. It never happened again. But I also had some abdominal cramping that was very odd. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm Mm -hmm. way past having period cramps. And I couldn't figure out if it was like gastrointestinal or what was going on. So I did go to the doctor. And his first thought is that probably I had a UTI. So he did the testing and nothing came back. Then theory number two was maybe I had um, a kidney stone. So I had a CT abdominal scan, no sign of a kidney stone. And I didn't think I had a kidney stone. It just wasn't that painful. You know, I've heard people talk about how painful it is. And I was just having sort of cramping and taking Tylenol a little bit. So finally, he ruled out all those things. And he said, you have to go see a urologist and have a cystoscope where they look inside of your bladder. And, you know, this sounded pretty bad, (laughs) really. I'm like, I really have to do this? And he said, yes, you really have to do this. So I went to see a urologist, and it took a while to get an appointment, and they wanted me to wait. Um, This was all happening right before Christmas, of course. They wanted me to wait till January. And I was like, no, I want to get this done. So made the appointment and they squeezed me in. So basically when I saw the urologist, um, what they do is they use a catheter, pop that in, which while you're just lying down on your back, no, not a big deal. And then they had this uh, thing, I think it's called a rectoscope. It's like a microscope that lets you look into the bladder. And so he looked into the bladder and, you know, didn't say too much. And then he said, okay, get your clothes on and then come, we'll we'll sit in my office. I want to go over your history. So I don't know why, but at that moment I thought, oh, this can't be good. I can assure you, I did not think anything about bladder cancer because who has ever given a second thought to bladder cancer? It's like I've spent years being afraid of breast cancer, but mm, bladder cancer? No, nope, not so much. So my husband had come with me, and he, I went and kind of got him. So we sat down, and Dr. Sethi, his name is his name, Dr. Parminder Sethi, who's a really great urologist. If you ever need one, he said he started asking me all these questions about smoking and about occupational exposures. You know, did you ever work in the chemistry industry? And, you know, when he started going down that path, I was getting really scared because I thought, Oh, this can't be good. And so finally he said, okay, well this might be, Cancerous. It might not be. You have polyps. That's what he called them. There are a couple of polyps in there. We won't really know until we biopsy them. Did he take some out at that moment or you didn't know? You know what? He did not. And I don't know exactly why not. Um, I know that he did um, a urinalysis test that can test for cancer and it came back negative. It didn't show any cancer cells in the actual urine, which was at the time he said, that's a good sign that, you know, it's not showing up in your urine, but to get to do a biopsy, I had to have a surgical procedure. So we scheduled that for January after Christmas. I came back for that. That is done um, under general anesthesia as an outpatient. That surgery is called TERPT. T-U-R-B-T. And I think it stands for chans, urethral, blah, blah, bladder, blah, blah. Okay, <laughs> so I could look it up, but you can look it up, T-U-R-B-T. And it's um, a combination of, like, they go through, um, again, through a catheter, and they go in and they can look visually just like they do in the office. And then they also, they go in and they sort of scrape or they zap the polyps. And then they, but they also, they take um, samples, tissue samples. So I had that surgery. And when I woke up, I was totally bummed because I had a catheter that I had to wear home. And I ended up having a catheter for an entire week. You know, I had been told, maybe you'll need a catheter. Maybe you won't. Eh, probably not, but I did. And I had to have it on for, I had it in for an entire week. And that actually was about the lowest point of anything <laughs> that I've encountered. Um, so about a week after the surgery, I went back for the follow-up, got the stupid catheter out. And by then the pathology report was back. And so then I found out for sure that I did have bladder cancer. And I had already kind of knew the results of the pathology report because my regular doctor had gotten them and had just called me and said, Hey, I don't know if anyone's gone over the results of your pathology report yet. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I have an appointment tomorrow with Dr. Sethi. He said, well, would you like me to tell you what it said? And I said, sure. So he told me the results. And so I was already prepared. Um, to talk to the urologist. And I was really glad I was because I went online naturally and researched bladder cancer and made a giant list of questions. So I was actually able to ask a lot of questions.
1: Can I just interrupt you for one second? Sure. That's exactly what you would do. You would research a <laughs> yes, lot <it> is. <laughs> and have a lot of questions. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just describing your personality to anyone who might not know you personally.
0: You are so right. In fact, I told Dr. Sethi, I said, okay, now don't take this personally, but I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and it will help reduce my anxiety. That's just the kind of person I am. And so I asked him a ton of questions and he was hilarious. He said, oh, I'm glad I had just recently studied and taken my board exams again. (laughs)
1: Amen. even yeah. Charlotte Gabert can stump <laughs> a specialist.
0: So, he, the way he explained it is that I had non invasive bladder cancer and that um, we were going to treat it with an immunotherapy treatment. And then, after, you know, I would get this treatment and then we'd have another scope and take a look. And he said, you know, if all goes well, this will just become a nuisance. He said, bladder cancer definitely tends to recur. And then you just go in, you scrape it back out, you do some more immunotherapy. And he said, you know, it's a little bit like managing skin cancer where people go to the dermatologist and they have stuff that's grown zapped off and then they go back in six months and have another checkup. Um, He said, really, that is what I think is gonna happen. So that made me feel much better. Um, So after I sort of healed from that surgery, then I had six weekly treatments of immunotherapy. And the way that they treat you with non-invasive bladder cancer, they do a type of immunotherapy called BCG. And it's Basilicus something, something. It's named after these two French doctors, Dr. C and Dr. G, and they discovered the basilicus is actually the bacteria that causes tuberculosis. So it's kind of weird. What they do is they take the BCG, they instill it into your bladder in the office. Takes like five minutes. You go home, you hang out for two hours while it's in your bladder, you pee it out, and you do that for, I did it for six weeks in a row, once a week. The whole way it works is, they don't even really understand how it works. The, and I actually have no idea how they discovered it, but it's an old treatment. It, it dates from the 1970s you know, it's not like one of these really new groovy immunotherapy treatments that you read about. It's really old. And
1: this treatment specifically for the bladder cancer is really old. The BCG is for this illness and it's old. Okay.
0: Correct. BCG is sort of, it's the preferred treatment for the type of non-invasive bladder cancer that I have. Works really well. Um, And it's you know, it's very easy to tolerate. I mean, the side effects are like maybe the next day you feel tired, um, maybe some burning when you urinate. Um, different people have different reactions, but I-, I was able to tolerate it very easily. It was really no big deal. The other thing about getting BCG immunotherapy is because it's just in your bladder, it doesn't affect your entire body. It's not a systemic immunotherapy treatment. So, which the, I think most, I think most immunotherapies are. So it's really basically, it's con, it's just stays in your bladder. It doesn't It's not in the rest of your body. They think what happens is that it stimulates your immune system and then your immune system wakes up and comes running to the rescue to your bladder. It takes care of the bacteria that they put in there, the basilicus, but while it's there, it goes, oh, there's some cancer cells over there. Let's just chomp on those and get rid of those while we're here. That's kind of what they think happened. So it's really harnessing your own body's immune system. Huh, brilliant. Yeah. So after you had the six treatments, mm-hmm. how many did you have after that? I went back maybe 10 to 12 weeks later for another scope in the office. And he still saw some things that he didn't like. So I did another round of six and then 10 to 12 weeks after that. Oh wait, I forgot. I had to have another Terp surgery. Erg, I forgot. Yeah. I had to another, have a Terp surgery. This one was, they didn't have to go as deep. I didn't have to go home with the catheter Um, and the pathology report for that was much better than the pathology report originally. It was just like it wasn't as high grade. It was it was just ten times better. So after that second terp surgery, then I had six more treatments. Then I went back, and so last November, right before Thanksgiving, I had um, another scope, and this time it was all clear. So uh, this all transpired from about. December 2017 into November 2018. And now, once I got the all clear, now I'm in what's called maintenance mode. So every six months, I go back and get three weekly treatments of BCG. So I had three weekly treatments in April of 2019. Then I'll go back in July this summer and have a scope. Hopefully the scope will show everything's all clear. Then in like October, November, I'll do three more. And basically I just kind of go on in maintenance mode for about three years. Again, the maintenance mode is really long because because bladder cancer tends to recur.
1: Okay.
0: Then once I get an all clear after those three years, then I think I go back maybe every year for a scope to make sure all is still clear. So I would say, you know, basically I've been really lucky. Mm-hmm. And if you have to have not a, bl- a cancer, you know, non-invasive bladder cancer, that's pretty good. Um, I think the key is you have to go get diagnosed immediately. Like if I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have even gone to my regular doctor. I would have just gone straight to the urologist, and he probably would have gone through the same diagnostic steps. Um, but I spent a couple of weeks fooling around with maybe it's a UTI, maybe it's a kidney stone. Um, you know, in my, in
1: your defense, may I say, how could you have known? So right. You, yeah. How could you have known?
0: Yes. Right. I remember I told you I had blood in my urine and you said, oh, that's really serious. And I said, oh no, it, you know, it could, it's, it could be so many other things, which is true. You know, some of the symptoms can be other things. Yes. Um, I had the kind of blood in the urine where it's called gross hematuria, where it's like it's visible to the eye. Sometimes people have microscopic hematuria, and it only shows up when somebody has got a urinalysis. So it just shows up in some lab work. But um, other symptoms include, I should just share these other symptoms, irritation or pain during urination, frequent urination, and or an urgent need to urinate. Now, all of those last ones are also the sign of overactive bladder, which I also have. So um, I would not have taken any of those symptoms seriously to the doctor because I have those symptoms all the time anyway. So for me, it was like the blood in the urine. And um, yeah, basically if you go get treated soon, It is a very treatable type of cancer. The only other treatment that I had besides the BCG was when I had the second terp surgery. Um, After the surgery, before I left the hospital, they also, um, they inserted a chemo drug Mm -hmm. and it just stayed in my bladder for an hour. Mm -hmm. And that was just sort of like, while we're here, (laughs) We may as well try this chemo drug, the chemo drugs that they use that are inside of the bladder. um, They don't really actually work as well as BCG does, but um, they were used for a long time. And I think doctors still kind of like to use them just for insurance, you know, like, Hey, why not? We're working away in your bladder. So we'll just leave some chemo drug in here. So, yeah. So that's my story.
1: All right. Okay. Let's take a break for just a moment and we'll be right back. Wow. So that was a lot of information about um, bladder cancer and your journey with bladder cancer. And why don't you tell our listeners about some resources?
0: Okay. Yes. Well, bladder cancer is, as I said earlier, it is pretty common, but it is doesn't seem to get the same publicity that other cancers get. Um, nevertheless, there's a really great national organization called the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, BCAN. Um, it is bcan.org. That was someplace that I ended up pretty quickly. I think When I got diagnosed, my urologist gave me two brochures. And one of them was published by BCAN. So they they are really helpful. They also have um, an online support community where you can talk to other people. So I've taken advantage of that. And that's actually been really helpful in asking um, just questions of other people, like I'm having this weird side effect from BCG. Is this normal? Have you guys ever had this before? And, you know, find out, yes, it's really common. So um, BCAN is a great location. I also went to the local branch of Cancer Support Community, and cancersupportcommunity.org is, again, a national group. There's one here in the San Francisco Bay Area that happens to be up in Pleasant Hill, California. And uh, the Cancer Support Community They have a lot of programs uh, that give you emotional support. They have one-on-one counseling. They have classes and workshops. They have speakers who come in and talk about things like nutrition. Through them, I found a nutritionist and spent three or four sessions with her, just fine-tuning supplements that I wanted to take. Um, Also, cancer support community has different types of classes. They're like movement classes for people with cancer, and they can be anything from yoga to um, Pilates. Some of them are really for people who are really, really sick. I was never really that sick, but there are a lot of people who are taking classes who get a lot of support from that. They have things like singing with ukuleles just crazy things that will boost your mood. Um, they have once every few months, they have a nationally known comedian who comes in and does a night of, you know, laughter or just tells jokes. So they really support you in sort of all the different ways that you need support emotionally, socially. They even have a thing called um, decision-making care. So, like, if you are presented with decisions about your – cancer care, and you don't really know how to proceed, you can sit down with some of their experts and go over your options. So it's a really great resource. It's all totally hundred percent free. Um, so that was, I found really helpful. And I guess the other thing that I would say is it was a little strange to discover how many people know somebody who has bladder cancer, because at first I really thought, uh, that I was kind of an oddball person to have bladder cancer, but the more people that I told about it, the more I discovered other people had it. And I was really glad that I did not keep it to myself. I think for some reason people feel very ashamed of having bladder cancer because it has to do with bladder and pain and urine. Um, But I remember right after I got my first surgery, I needed to cancel my uh, attendance at a rehearsal for an ensemble that I sing in. And I didn't really know the director, David, that well. So I just emailed him and told him I couldn't make it. But I also included why I couldn't make it, that I was recovering from the surgery and I still had a catheter in. And the only reason I decided to share that information was because our group is really small, maybe there's 20 people, missing a rehearsal is not something you do lightly. About 30 seconds after I sent the email to him, he replied, and it turned out he had had bladder cancer, he knew all about it, he had gotten the same treatment that I was going to get, and he was very supportive. He said, if you have any questions, if you ever want to talk, just call me. So that just really made me realize when you have something like this, it's better to tell people and talk about it as opposed to keeping it to yourself.
1: That is a great message because other people might have some some way to help you and reach out to you. And you're also um, educating others about the symptoms, like as we just did. In yes. The, in our chat.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I would say to everyone, happy. Um Bladder Cancer Awareness Month. There are a bunch of um, bladder cancer walks going around that that are fundraising events. So if you see one or know somebody who's doing one, just jump in and support it because it's raising money for research. And there is a lot of really cool research going on with bladder cancer right now that will probably change the way it's treated like in the next five to 10 years.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, good to know. This conversation
1: is making me have to pee. Of course. Yeah, time to go. Yeah, Yeah. time. No, gotta run. Just it's no, it's completely in my head. I just feel like you know, that's, (laughs) and I hope you don't think that's rude to tell me. I'm sort of just trying to make light, a little bit light. Yeah, that's fine. And I wanted to say I'm so glad that you're okay now. Thanks. Me too. Yeah, that's wonderful that you took care of everything and that your doctor was so helpful. Yes, and you were able to. uh,
0: Yeah, you know we. When you have bladder cancer, when you have non-invasive bladder cancer, um, you only have, I only have a urologist. I don't have an oncologist. So that is another kind of strange thing about bladder cancer. Um, You know, and I didn't lose my hair. I didn't have radiation. I didn't have chemo. Nothing like that. Yeah,
1: nothing like that.
0: Which is all great. And I don't want to have an oncologist. I'm happy to just have the urologist and that's fine. So. And I do
1: know another person, a friend of mine who had bladder cancer. I'm going to make it recently in air quotes because I can't remember exactly when it was, but she also had a very similar experience with the um, having surgery and having some BCG. And that was yeah. done, one and done. One and done. Yeah. You, yay, BCG. Yay, BCG. So, yeah. So I guess we're... Um, we're done for the today. Imagine that. We are done talking. Yes, we're done talking for now. For now. Until our next show.
0: That's right. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode.
1: You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Charla Danielle podcast.